0: Titus chapter 1. Let's uh, let's bow in prayer. Father, again, as always, we want to begin, Father, by thanking you, Lord, for that is the appropriate stance that we are to always have before you, one of gratitude. Lord, you are so good to us, and you are good to us every day. And Father, your goodness to us is not only in the gift of salvation, though that is primary. Lord, you are good to us in so many ways. Again, Father, it is our custom to thank you, Father, for your word as we come to the point in our worship of you to focus on your word. Father, we know that your word has been given to us that we may have knowledge and we may have wisdom, that we may understand, Father, you and your ways, that we may be instructed in the ways of life, that we may understand how we are to live in our personal lives, how we are to relate to others in the world, beginning with our family and moving on from there. And, Father, as we have been looking at how we are to relate to each other in the church. And so we ask again that you will instruct us, you help us to understand. As Lord, we desire in every way to be conformed to your image, both as individuals and collectively. And so we thank you and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Titus chapter 1, and uh, this is a, really a parallel passage to what we read this morning in Timothy, beginning in verse 5, Paul writes, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So let will just pause for just a moment there. I want you to notice how uh, Paul states what he states in verse 5. He wants them to set in order things that are lacking. So there's things that are lacking in, with this body of believers. Uh, And not only with one, I think uh, in in the work in general and in uh, many churches. So he wants them to set things in order because things are lacking. And then along with that, what's included in that is the appointment of elders uh, in every city. And again, Paul is saying that he's commanding them to do that. So that's why when we talk about the pattern uh, of elders in a church, uh, we don't just mean that's just kind of a good example. And if we want to do that, we can follow it. Uh, I think it's much stronger than that. But he goes on, he says, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent and not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, so reminded, just, holy, and self-controlled holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Uh, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So we'll stop there. He goes on to talks about uh, what the elders are to do, which you notice that what Paul is concerned with, the reason why he wants these men to be established, he tells us that within the, within the church or within the churches that he's writing to or that he's talking about, there are many individuals that are insubordinate. What he means by that is that they are not submitting themselves to the Word of God. Uh, they have their own ideas, and that's what they're pushing. Then he says that they are idle talkers, And they are deceivers, so they're deceiving people. They may sound intelligent, they may be trying to formulate their arguments for whatever it is that they want to uh, get across, but they are deceiving people. And the main idea, I think, with that is that you are trying to convince people that this is what God is saying, when this over here is not what God is saying. And then he says, especially those of the circumcision. So what he's talking about is uh, a group of individuals who were teaching, they had a a particular view of the law, and that... uh, Basically, if you, when you become a Christian, if you really want to be closer to God, then you need to follow the law. Um, and, and these individuals who were, who were Jewish, Jewish, uh, they were religious experts. And so these are very religious-sounding uh, individuals. They have the vocabulary. Uh, they're probably very good at what they do as far as the way they talk. And he says that what they are saying, he says their mouths must be stopped. And then he tells us why. He says because they what? They subvert Whole households. So there's entire families that are being led astray from the truth of God because of these individuals. And so that's why there has to be elders uh, in the church. And that's why they have to meet these qualifications. And that's why there has to be more uh, than just one elder. There has to be several. If you look at just even recent church history, you look at the, the uh, I don't want to say progress because that's probably the wrong word. That implies that things are going in the right direction. But if you look at the drift in in the church in our country, and you look at many different denominations, you can continuously go back and see that the main problem and why they have drifted in all these various ways they've drifted is because they have not had a multiple number of men who know the Word of God and know how to handle the Word of God. And as a result of that, they've had pastors They've had bishops, whatever whatever titles you want to use. They've had uh, individuals who were influential, who've been able to cause these churches, usually it's it's kind of a slow process, it doesn't happen within a matter of weeks, where they begin to, in one way or another, begin to go to a more liberal understanding of the Bible. The idea is, is that they move away from the emphasis of Scripture, they move away from some of the clear commands of scripture and churches then begin to get involved in things or take a stance on things that really are not in line with the scripture whether it's their view of marriage the view of the family their view of the whole lgbt etc issues that are going on Uh, how how do you get to that point where you get to that point because you don't have individuals who are safeguarding the truth And and so there's always, again, this idea that you have several men that are doing that. And if you have that, that prevents, uh, it's not going to stop every church from going in that direction. uh, Because a lot of that depends on the makeup of the church. But it's going to prevent many churches and probably would have prevented entire denominations from going in that direction. But they've moved in that direction. And what's interesting is that in many cases, when you look at the details, um, even if they had individuals that you might that they, they might have even been called elders, uh, they were not doing their, their job, they were not fulfilling their responsibilities as they were supposed to. So either they were bad elders, or they didn't have elders, they didn't have individuals doing what they were supposed to be doing. And so in the end, when you, th- when you just look at our country, in general, how does the world, or how does our secular society view the church? They don't view us as being a group of individuals that are highly committed to Christ, They see individuals that are committed to maybe a certain political point of view. Uh, They see a group of individuals who are committed to a particular um, uh, philosophy of life. You know, usually it tends to be conservative. That doesn't mean that we can't be those things. But that's not what we should be known for. I would rather them think that we're nothing but a bunch of religious zealots than for us to think of us in those terms. At At least we're in the kind of right ballpark, so to speak. They're going to often misrepresent where we are. But we have to look at the truth of what's taking place in our country and the churches. And when you look, think about your friends, and let's say you think about certain friends you have that go to other churches, and let's say that uh, they're going through a great deal of difficulty in their families. Not always, but often, when you look carefully at what's going on in their family, some of those things, maybe many of the things that are going on, they would not have been going down that road if they had been given solid teaching. Starting years ago. That's just that's a fact of life. It doesn't mean that that would have prevented all of them from having these problems because you know people can ignore solid teaching, but a lot of times they're they're not they're not exposed to that on a regular basis, and so as a result, uh, the idea of all these various families falling apart and individuals being caught up in in different things that uh, may take years for them to overcome and then maybe even years to overcome the consequences, if ever, uh, oftentimes is traced back to that, and so. Uh, That's why we don't want to ever minimize the idea and the pattern that we have here uh, in the Word of God. So I'm going to, I'll probably restate a few things from this morning. Some things I'll restate a little differently. uh, And the goal then is to continue to move on through understanding why, again, elders. What I gave you in the beginning was a little bit of that, but why elders. uh, And then also a few statements, really on how elders and deacons are to work together. Because I do believe that, again, as I said this morning, there are, they are not two groups in opposition uh, to each other. There really is to be uh, a very high level of cooperation. Uh, um, that should be, that's the norm for churches. That, that, that's, at least biblically, that's what it should be. So number one, and we've seen this before in other passages, um, we need men who are elders who want the work of elder. They don't it's not necessarily they want the status of elder. They want the work of elder. Those who desire the work of elder desire to do pastoral work. The elder is fundamentally a pastor. He's a shepherd of souls. Paul is saying that the man who aspires to be a shepherd of souls is aspiring to a very wonderful work, a good work. Again, to do the, the this kind of work again, takes a group of men to do this. If we're going to be as effective and as efficient as we ought to be, uh, if we're going to pay attention to the details and do all we can to come alongside people and really encourage them and help them to grow as believers, that it cannot be done by one man. That's an impossibility uh, for that to be done. It requires a great deal uh, of work and often a great deal of personal work with individuals. So the man, then, who wants the work of an elder... That means that he longs to see the people of God studying the Word of God. He longs to see people, uh, the people of God learning the Word of God, growing in the Word of God, and being conformed to the image of Christ. He longs to help people who are struggling spiritually. You'll notice, as, as I kind of describe these things, that, and we're going to get into it again next week, Sunday morning, as I said, I, th- I think it's very important for us to do a very detailed study on uh, what does the Scripture mean when it talks about... Uh, the rule of elders or obeying those who rule over you what does that really mean we need to we need to grasp that uh and i think that would be in fact i'm convinced that would be key in understanding how a church is to function how elders function and how this whole thing comes together but you will notice here that when it talks about the work of an elder there's nothing in here about him being a boss it's not about him just you know he wants to do this and he wants to do that all, all, all the entire goal, the, the longing is to help individuals. So the idea of helping those who are struggling in their walk is not to come along and evaluate their spiritual life and say, well, you need to do this, this, and this, and I'll check on you next week to see if you're doing that. Uh, it's, it's not like that. Uh, it's, it's coming alongside and helping that individual to do those things and to help them in the struggle. Uh, it's not this idea that somehow I look good standing next to this poor individual who's struggling, uh, and that kind of feeds the ego. That, that's just not in there. He longs to be involved in the process of establishing people who are growing spiritually. He longs to bring people into the kingdom who don't know Christ. And so again, this is a guy that's involved in pastoral work. And so the church then should want to elect men to the office of being an elder who long to do this kind of spiritual work. Uh, These men then, they do have an agenda. They have a spiritual agenda for wanting to be an elder. Their agenda is not because they want to be the influence, uh, their agenda is is they want to see people growing in christ that 's the agenda uh, they again, they do not simply desire status i don 't even know what to do with individuals who even think about it in those terms to me there's just there 's no status there uh, I know i 've talked to before about uh, through the last twenty or thirty years there 's been a change with churches in general where uh, I think some pastors have really struggled with their status, and how they're viewed, not only by their people, but by people outside the church. When you look throughout the church history in our country, it used to be that in most towns, and maybe in some cities, the most educated person there was usually the pastor. Or he was one of the most educated people there. You went to go see him for everything. Through time, as more and more individuals began to graduate from high school, began to go to college. He, you know, the status of being the most knowledgeable person began to slip a little bit. Along with that, when the, because the pastor was oftentimes the most knowledgeable individual, there was a, a kind of a status with, with the pastor. And the, you know, the pastor shows up, everybody pays attention. Uh, when the pastor stands up to speak, nobody else has an opinion. You know, it's the final word. There was that kind of prestige that went with that. Well, because our society continues to become much more secular, there's less and less respect. You have people who say, well, "He's a pastor. What does he know?" Right? That just kind of goes along with the territory. So when that has been taking place, this decline, so to speak, uh, in how a pastor's view, viewed, I think it began to bother the ego of some guys. They didn't like that. Yeah, I think they were misunderstanding where the emphasis was to be in their life as an individual. And so that's why there was. Uh, Maybe it lasted a decade. I know it still goes on some, but there are men, especially in larger churches, who began to say, well, yeah, I'm the pastor and the CEO of whatever the church was. Uh, and in some cases, they, want, they would want to drop the word pastor, but they wanted to be known as CEO because in the business world or outside the church, that sounds much more impressive. You know, So I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the CEO of, of fabchurch.com. You know, I guess people think, "Oh, wow, he's CEO," right? and there's only they almost felt like they had to apologize. Well, yeah, I'm I'm just a pastor. <laughs> like, you don't have to do that. But but what happened was is that began to take place. So I think what was happening is is there were those who were desiring again the status that maybe what they grew up with thinking about what a pastor is like, what they've heard about what pastors are like, or maybe certain men that are popular and therefore have a, a large reach. And so as, as a result of that, they're trying to find ways, grappling for ways to kind of get this status. Now you just need to throw all that away. That was a, a unique period of time. Uh, that's not normally how it goes. And a pastor is an under-shepherd. Uh, he's a servant is what he is. And it's, it's not really to be... Uh, the only ones who will hold him in high esteem are those who are being fed the word of God. Nobody else is. Not really. And there's, that's okay. Um, it's just... Uh, so so that, that's, that's been a problem in the church. And so that's, that's been part of the difficulties that we've had and why maybe we've gone in the wrong direction that we have. So there's, there's the idea of status. just really shouldn't be a part of that. Uh, again, these are men who simply desire to be able to... Uh, they're not men who simply want to make decisions. That's not what that is. Uh, again, what they long to do is spiritual ministry. Um, so secondly... Uh, And we covered this a little bit this morning, but we do need elders who are godly men. Holiness is the, I guess you would call it maybe the main qualification of an elder. If he's not holy, it doesn't matter what else he does well. He needs to be a man who's holy. And again, it doesn't mean that he is a man who walks around in a monk's robe with a large cross around his neck. It doesn't mean he's a man who always says God bless you to somebody after, at the end of every single conversation. It's not about any of those things. It's about this man living his life in public and in private where he seeks to do the best that he can to be separated for the Lord, for the work of the Lord, to, to, to seek after righteousness in the way that he lives his life. Again, he is above reproach. He is free from scandalous sins. Again, he's, he's not perfect, never pretends to be perfect, and knows that he's not perfect. But he's, again, free of the scandals that would bring shame uh, on the church and on Christ. I even read a book once by a pastor who said that he believed, and he might be right, this is his opinion, but he believes that when a pastor falls, like we hear of a pastor church, and let's say he's caught in an adulterous relationship, and so he's, you know, he's dismissed from the church. This pastor said he believes that that was evidence that man was never called by God to be a pastor. Because a lot of times the individual is called because he can speak well. Sometimes he's called because he's got a certain kind of a degree. There's all kinds of reasons why men are called. Now I'm not saying dogmatically this guy's right. I just think it's something to think about. Because he said that it's a man who is, the, this, is this is the thing. He loves God and this is what he's pursuing. So he's temperate. he's sober-minded. He's opposed to all sorts of excesses. Uh, in his life, he's to be prudent, so he has mastery over his natural reactions. Right, so, this is an, so it's not, again, an individual who's perfect, even in the control of, the, of, of his emotions, but I do believe that oftentimes the way that we respond to something spontaneously, that does reveal a great deal about where we are uh, in our life as an individual. And this individual has a mastery over that. So again, it's not being phony, but there's a discipline, and he's, he's not, uh, uh, his decisions and his reactions aren't fed by his emotions. He has emotions, but they don't feed him. They don't lead him. Uh, he has those things under control. So he's self-controlled. Uh, he's respectable in this way. His life bears up under public scrutiny. Uh, so if uh, I know this has happened to some pastors where somebody is, is upset with them and they hire a private detective to follow them around and see if they can find dirt on them. And sometimes they do. Um, I promise you, you, hire, you want to hire a detective to follow me, go right ahead. They will be bored out of their mind. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, I just, I'm not worried about it. Uh, but that does happen. And so his life needs to, to, to bear up under public scrutiny. Um, So his religion is personal but it's not private. His life shows itself to be one which is again respectable. I mentioned this this morning. Again this is another very important one. It's key I think in a lot of ways. He is hospitable. He has a heart for hospitality. Uh, Paul says that Christians ought to have a heart for hospitality so he has to lead the way in this. Uh, so we, could, we can say, especially the elders, they ought to have a vision for bringing people into their lives and their homes. So it's not, as I mentioned this morning, it's not just having someone in your home to eat, though I think that's a good thing, but you are inviting them into your life to see how you live. It's, it's not that you say, well, I want them to see how I live because I got it all together and I want them to copy me. It's not that. But it's just recognizing that you want to reach out to this individual. You want to do all you can to get to know them, to help them. And you're willing to expose your life to them because you are doing all you can to glorify Christ with your life. And you want them to see that. It kind of goes back to what Paul said. Uh, Paul, uh, two different occasions. He said to, to the people he was writing to, he says, imitate me. He didn't say, follow me. He said, imitate me. Now, he wasn't saying he was perfect. But basically what he was saying is, is you want to walk close with the Lord, do what I do. And I think he was right. And so that's kind of the idea that is involved in this. So you have a vision for bringing people into your life, into your home, to minister to other people. You want to make them comfortable, show kindness and favor to them. And again, there's all kinds of context that you can do that in. And the elder is one who is doing that. And as I said before this morning, uh, what we should, should always be the goal of the church is to uh, nominate and to affirm men who are already doing that. They're already like that. We are acknowledging that uh, as a group and and, uh, uh, placing that person in the position of being an elder. As I said, he's not to be addicted to wine. He's to be free from any enslavement, whether it's alcohol, drugs, any kind of a stimulant, anything that people in our culture turn to to deal with life or to make li- living life easier or what have He needs to be free from all of that. He needs to be an individual who lives his life dependent upon the Lord. Again, I'm not, you know, some people, they don't like what I say when I say those things and they sometimes misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not against real medicine. I'm not against even managing real pain. But there's a lot of drugs, uh, prescription drugs, that are given to individuals to help an individual basically deal with life issues, and they don't do that. Uh, and there's one more evidence coming out that, I mean, big time, uh, that those things do nothing for the individual. Uh, except it will make everything worse because you're not ever dealing with the problem. So this individual is free from that. They don't, they don't need those things. It's not because they think they're better than other people. But when, they're, when they have great sorrow, they can bear with the great sorrow. When there's, a great, when there's great grief, they, they deal with the great grief by depending upon the Lord and depending upon other believers. They're handling the way that God desires them to handle it in a way that glorifies the Lord. When things go really well in their, in their life, they don't just simply go off the deep end committing all kinds of sins. They were to handle all of these various uh, fluctuations in life in a way that honors the Lord. As we already know, he's not to be pugnacious. He's not to be violent. He's not, to be, he's not given to quarreling or being quick-tempered. Um, in fact, if we were to ever have a man who was, uh, had a quick temper, that would probably come out pretty quick. Because um, just working in a church with people, it's going to happen um, if you don't have that part of your life under control. As I mentioned this morning again, elders need, uh, 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 we need elders who are able to teach and they're able to convey God's truth to disciples. They, have, they are able to communicate and to explain God's truth to uh, believers and to those who are non-believers. Uh, Paul is uh, calling on us, to look for men who know the Bible, who love the Bible, who know the doctrines of the Bible. They love the doctrines of the Bible, and they know it well. They know it well enough to be able to explain it and to defend it to others. Elders need to be able to convey the truth. Again, they may not all be great. You may not, Some elders, you may not want to listen to them 52 Sundays out of the year, but they're still able to teach. That's the kind of elder that we want. You want to elect elders who not only want to teach, But they have to have some ability to convey God's truth. And so, again, as I said, not every single elder is going to be able to preach, per se, to maybe a large group. But they need to be able to communicate the word of God so people can understand it. Whether it's one-on-one, small group, what have you, they're able to do that. Uh, And there's just no way to get around that, period. That has to be the case with this individual that you want to serve as, uh, as an elder. Uh, The one I said we were going to spend a little bit of time on is the next one, which is elders. We need elders with godly homes and families who are aiming for godly homes and families. We need elders like that, men who aim to have a godly home. They're men who, in some measure, have established a godly home. And we say that because they may have very young children, no children, or grown children. Uh, And so these individuals are faithful to their wives, they're faithful to their families, and they're good managers of uh, their family. Titus one six again says, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Uh, that doesn't mean that his children are Christians. Uh, some believe that that is what the scripture teaches—that he must have believed that he must have children who are believers. But if we just spend a few moments thinking about that, just in general, that can't be the case. Because what if he has four children? that are all under the age of five. Are well, they going to be believers? But because he has children at the age of five doesn't mean he's disqualified because, again, it it doesn't have to be someone who's necessarily old. It doesn't have to be 50 or 60 or 70 years of age. You have individuals who may be 35. I do think they have to have 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 some life experience. But, again, uh, they're not necessarily one who's just old chronologically, but they are establishing a home that is godly. So that shows, again, this consistency in their commitment to Christ. They spend time with their children reading the Bible, teaching them uh, theology, praying with them. That's important. And if he's not doing that, he's not going to be doing that with uh, with the church as a leader in the church. So I, I want to go through five points real quick. I had them all there in your, in your uh, notes there. Uh, just kind of uh, five points or observations about the passages, primarily Titus uh, 1, uh, 6, and, and Timothy as well, about this man's family and his children and what that means. Number one, uh, in verse six, uh, the immediate context here is that he has children that are not insubordinate. In other words, that means there's the, uh, that they are submissive to mom and dad. It doesn't mean that they don't disobey. Good grief, they're going to disobey. Uh, but how does he manage that? Does he correct them or not? It, it doesn't. In one sense, it doesn't matter if they correct them like you or I would. You know, I already, I've already, you know, I'm pretty strict. My dad was even stricter. Um, That's not the only way. I think it's a real good way, but it's not the only way to do that. All right, there's just you know, like I I remember having conversations with people, and and they would they would be correcting one of their children, and then they would make the statement to me, "Yeah, well, with this one, we never spanked this one." And I used to think, "Oh my word, what are we getting into now?" But you know, I've learned through the years that sometimes, rare, (laughs) but sometimes, they're right, if they're consistent. Actually, I don't have a problem. That's the key. The key with discipline is always being consistent. You don't have to always spank them. Uh, And so, uh, you know what? I've learned through the years that I was wrong, thinking that, nope, you need to spank them. I still think I might a lot of times. But anyway, we'll go on. All right? Number two, what we do have to recognize, because we know this is true for all people, this is true for all believers, elders cannot control the behavior of the children. Now, we can do a lot in how they behave as far as the way that we're raising them. But all of a sudden they have a meltdown. Like all of a sudden, let's say that one of Tim's kids has a meltdown. We don't, at least hopefully you don't think, whoa, Tim's a pretty bad dad. Look at her. She's having a complete meltdown. That comes from someplace. (laughs) Yes, it does. We call this in nature. uh, But the key is, is how does Tim handle that? That's, that's what I would look at. Does Tim just ignore it like it's not a big deal? Does Tim spank her? I say her because the, the youngest is a boy and he's like, you know, he's just real young, so he's not, he's not ready for spankings yet. All right? It is, but he doesn't have to handle it the way I think he should handle it, but does he handle it with patience? Does he handle the way that, on, that all that is important? Um, so he needs to be one who's instructing his children he's disciplining them he's warning them um, ultimately a lead an elder cannot be held responsible if his child rejects or accepts Christ I, just, I don't see how we can um, because it's not up to us we want our children to be saved we want to raise them where they know the gospel but we're not the ones who determine whether or not they become a Christian uh thirdly again the context of this passage here in titus what we look at this morning in timothy is the uh, qualifications of an elder and that is always character we've already assumed the man is saved or he wouldn't be considered to be an elder so salvation isn't the issue it's character um so the closest that uh we see to all of this is that uh, the bible says he should not be a new believer other than that it's character across the board and so uh, that would be the standard then for the elders' children as well. Fourthly, um, some of the, some of the uh, 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 commentaries that deal with, with the words in great detail say that the Greek word that's used for children here is usually used for those children who are being managed. What he means by that is children who are, the children here are the ones who are being actively parented in the home. So this is not like where you would say, you would say to me, you say, well, Bob... Uh, you've got a son that lives in Wake Forest. Um, he's 39 years old. Does he walk with the Lord? Because if he doesn't, you're not qualified. That, that's that's not what this is talking about. This is about the ones who are in your home and, again, how you deal with them, how you manage them. And then that child's behavior does, even though we can't control a child's behavior, it does reflect uh, on the parents, and that's important uh, um, for us to recognize. And then, again, Uh, The fifth thing is that in 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5, it says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And then, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So again, the uh, context and the vocabulary is dealing with his children being submissive. So again, it's how does he respond? How how is he dealing with that? If your child uh, grows up and that child is as some translations say riotous or is just full-on rebellion okay again that's normally indicative of some problems in the home or some inconsistencies through the course of time Uh, normally doesn't you know your kid doesn't rebel on Monday and then they get arrested Wednesday Uh, normally means some other things are going on okay and so we need to look at that and a kid can also be at times you can have a kid who may be getting into a lot of trouble at the same time, show great respect for their parents and obey what they say, even though at times, like, they may slip out of the house and do whatever. And so there's a whole dynamic there of how that's being dealt with and what's going on. And sometimes it can get a little uh, difficult with that. But most of the time, men recognize that when there's an ongoing problem like that, they'll say, Ah, I, I don't have time even. To deal with some other people because i 'm trying to deal with these as I ought to deal with these, and so and that 's normally what takes place in those kinds of situations, uh, but again, back to this idea that somehow that an elder 's children have to be believers i don 't think that you can get that from the text and from the context. Of how it's used. So, the idea then is how that individual manages their home. How do they respond to problems, to difficulties, uh, and those types of things? And so, like, again, if, if, if we were looking at Tim and, and Tim's kid had a meltdown, and then Tim had a meltdown screaming at the kid, you say, Yeah, oh, okay, well, now there's a problem uh, that we have here, and it's not the kid. Um, uh, a man who wrote a, a pretty good book on elders named Alexander Strock said this. He says, the contrast is made not between believing and unbelieving children, but between obedient and respectful children, uh, between people, children who are respectful and lawless or uncontrolled children. So again, it can be, they can misbehave, but there's a difference between kids who misbehave and those who are out of control. And an elder is one who does not have children that are out of control. So again, the idea here is we want to know how this guy lives his Christian faith. How he disciples the Christian faith in his own home. Does he communicate the Christian faith to his children, to his wife? Paul wants to see men that are involved in public ministry who have demonstrated some competency in leading their own families to the throne of grace. Uh, And so that's why he says you want to elect elders whose home life and home values accredit their fitness as shepherds. So uh, Paul tells us why Jesus said that we need elders. So turn to Ephesians 4 for just a moment, uh, and we'll look at verses 12 and 13. The Bible makes it very clear that elders are given and necessary for our spiritual edification. That means to build us up spiritually. Ephesians 4, verses 12 and 13. He gave some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Okay, pastor teachers, that's what elders are. All right? So they are given by Christ uh, to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now it's, it's a mouthful of a sentence to say at the least but it's crystal clear what Paul is saying. He is saying that Jesus has given elders to the church so that, one, the saints can be equipped for the work of service. That the work of the elder is to equip the saints to do what God made you to do. And what that primarily is, is in discipling us to grow in maturity. So then we will use our spiritual gift, or if you believe we have more than one, our spiritual gifts, in serving each other. That's, that's the goal here of this. So that, that's the equipping uh, that's taking place. And also, it's again for the building up of the body of Christ so elders are given to build up the body of Christ. How? Well, the way he does that, uh, the means he uses is this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So it gets back to knowledge and teaching the Word of God. Elders, then, are to, uh, are, are to foster the unity of the fellowship, and that is done because the emphasis is on the Word of God. Elders are to build us up until we are mature in the faith, Uh, they are there to help us to grow they're there to disciple us into spiritual maturity so remember that this idea of, of elders helping us to grow spiritually it's not always this idea that they're the smart ones and you're the dumb ones and they just tell you everything the Bible says it it's not like that it can be at times if you're a new believer you don't know much they're just telling you stuff but there's also this idea that we are you know as the Bible says iron sharpens iron so there are times that we're helping each other grow by just asking questions and in that there's kind of a, we're holding each other accountable. Uh, this morning, Tim asked me a question. He was, he was diverting me from what I was going to preach on and, uh, but nonetheless, I forgive him because he's young. But, um, <laughs> but he began to ask me about certain things in Job and if I had considered certain things based on what some of the guys said about the Hebrew. And, you know, so I'm listening to this, which is very intriguing, but that's a good thing. You know, because it's not, because when he, he wasn't just asking because it was a novelty. He's thinking about it. Now I'm thinking about it. It's just good. It's good for that, for us to have that. That, you know, there's all these kinds of things that we do to help each other, to inspire each other, to encourage each other, to grow as Christians. And that gets us back into the word of God. It's a good thing. And so, again, there's this mutual effort that we're making together. You know, it's voluntary that we're doing this. And again, a lot of this will come out very clearly Next week, Sunday morning, we talk about how elders are to rule. So again, we need elders because Paul said they were to be appointed in every church because Jesus gave them as gifts to the church and because Jesus said they were there in order to build up the saints in the unity of the faith and to maturity in Christ. That's why we need elders, because that's exactly what the Scripture informs us of. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, and this is what he says. He says, be on guard for yourselves... And for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, sometimes what can makes it a little difficult for us in understanding certain things is because we are, and it's, it's not our fault, we're accustomed to this. We are accustomed to being involved in a church, in a country, where Christians have been a dominant force for a couple hundred years. We are in a very influential position. Now, that's, that's waning very quickly now, much more fast, much more quicker now than ever before. Uh, but for many, many years, for over, over 100 years for sure, Christianity and the Bible had a very strong influence on, on everything. And so it was, it was, we just kind of went about our business, and society was kind of willingly bending itself to the will of believers in many different cases, and the way that we, the, the laws that we had, and the, and the emphasis that you had, whether it's in government schooling or what have you. Of course, that then began the change. So here what we have is Paul is writing to the Ephesian elders in a time when the church doesn't have any political power. None. We are fast approaching that time. As we do that, as our culture continues to try to find ways to encroach on our lives, as the evil one tries to use that to woo us away from following Christ to being loyal to Christ, we need to be alert to those things. We need to recognize those things that can be very powerful in our lives. That's why he says, guard yourselves and the whole flock. It's an important charge. Uh, I guess it was about 10 years ago, I I became very interested in a topic. Uh, The topic I became interested in is, what were those things in our culture that in and of themselves were not evil, but could have profound detrimental effects on our spiritual walk with the Lord as believers? That's what I became interested in, and, and um, that came out of my study out of, uh, on a couple of things. Uh, my study on addiction, my study on crime, and my study on a lot of different types of psychotropic drugs, and there were a lot of issues with that where certain things were not necessarily sinful, but then when you began to look at them, they could become very influential and very powerful in drawing us away from Christ, and uh, man, I think we're losing the battle on that and so we need to be on guard for those things and be aware of those things and that's why we want to continue to teach the word of God faithfully and consistently so again he's speaking to the Ephesian elders and he basically says that you need to be good pastors you need to be good shepherds and so again that's what we need the elders for we need spiritual shepherds to help us in discipleship to help create and continue and grow the unity of the family of God in the church to help us to grow in grace now I was reading through a couple of books that were discussing why is it Many churches, it seems, primarily in this country, are opposed or against having elders. So I picked the top two ones. Number one is this. Some churches do not have elders because of bad experiences. In other words, a local church will have a negative episode with elders uh, in the past, whether it's the past of that church or another church, um, and so that begins to dictate their future, and they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Perhaps previous elders acted in a dictatorial, arbitrary fashion, which was wrong. Maybe the individual did that because he was unqualified to serve as an elder. Whatever the reason, the members may have survived, or people may have survived an unpleasant experience, and so in their desire to never make that mistake again, they're reluctant to search out men that are qualified to serve as elders. But remember this. If I go to one dentist and experience excruciating pain when he fills a tooth. I may develop a bad attitude towards dentists in general, but I don't say, well, all dentists are evil and bad, and I'll never go to one again, because eventually I'm going to have to go to one if that's my attitude. And, but that's, that's a human reaction at times. You know, People say, and I pick on dentists because most people say, dentists, oh, man, I hate going to them, uh, and I'm with you on that. But uh, but the best way to overcome this kind of a problem is to remember that it is God's desire for the church to have qualified men serving as elders and deacons. So we have to remember, we need to be in submission to the word of God. If we did it wrong before, or if it was done wrong, we need to do it the right way. And the way you do that is to get men that are qualified. That's why we went through all 25 of those very rapidly this morning. So the plan is not, the fault is not with God's plan. The problem is with men. And so we need to learn from those mistakes and press on. The second reason, why um, main reason that churches sometimes are opposed to elders is because some individuals have interpreted the qualifications in an overly strict manner. In other words, no one in the church could ever measure up to the way that they look at those 25 qualifications. And so they take the 25 qualifications for an elder and use all of them to disqual- disqualify every man they've met um, and that is not what God is doing when he gave us Timothy and Titus to say, here's the standard, nobody can meet it, so no deacons, no elders. That's not the way that we are to look at it. We can't choose to ignore any of the qualifications, nor should we just identify those men who come close, and that's where some churches have messed up. They say, well, oh, we, we don't have anybody who meets all 25, but nah, I guess a couple guys, man, they meet 18. Uh, and that's, that's not the direction that you go in. Um, so again, those approaches, in fact, would probably be sinful. So, elders, so when it comes to that, we want to make sure we don't abandon the idea or the office of elder or deacon just because of maybe bad experiences or, or somehow we just kind of have this lofty idea of what it should be and therefore no one's qualified. So when it comes to these, these two main offices, the elder and the deacon, let me just say four things in closing about their function in the church. So number one would be this. Elders and deacons are not two independent offices with each doing their own thing. They are to be supportive of one another, working together to accomplish God's purposes for the church. The elders are to support the deacons like they would anybody else through encouragement, instruction, leadership, guidance, delegation according to gifts, burdens, interests, etc. All those things. The deacons support the elders by relieving them of certain things so that they can carry on their primary ministry and by cooperation. Uh, I remember a a friend of mine was in a church up in, in Virginia, and he said they got a group of deacons together, and they went to go see the pastor, and they said, you spend too much time doing this, this, and this. And so there's no way you can be spending time in prayer, saying the word of God, and with your family. So these three things you need to stop. And they were they were things that other men could do. The pastor just he was just doing everything, and so they just kind of, and they they all believed. He told me he said we believe this guy is called by God to be an elder, but he somehow thinks that he has to do all of it, and we had to stop him, and that's what they did. And so that's how we kind of support each other. Both I think should give input to each other concerning problems in the church, needs, ideas for accomplishing goals. Uh, this is this is not this idea where one group is closing out another group. That's not. I just don't see that in the church anywhere uh, here in what the scripture says. Again, there are roles that we are to fulfill, responsibilities that we have, and God holds us to those, but it's not closed-door meetings and you keep this guy out or this group out and, and we don't want any information or we don't want ideas. It's, it's not that at all. It's always a, a group thing when it comes to leading the church. Number two, communication of ideas, problems, need, concerns, uh, along with a commitment to work together is important for the overall ministry of the church and the overall ministry of those two offices. Again, there's the, there must be this idea of cooperation. Uh, again, back to Philippians chapter 1, I believe it's in verse 1, where the letter is addressed to the deacons and the bishops, or the deacons and the elders to the church. Uh, they're just viewed as being, the, these, these are the groups, this is the, the men that are leading. And I'm writing to you men and you need to pay attention to these things. Number three, ultimately God holds the elders responsible for the ministry of the church uh, and this includes the deacons and the work they 're asked to do, and so that 's that's how it is that 's what the Word of God has to say. Deacons are under the leadership of the elders, and again, we will understand what that is better next week. Uh, the elders are responsible to see that things are done according to the principles of scripture that 's always what 's in their mind is well, what does the scripture say it 's always that. And then also along with that, then what is it that 's going to glorify God and what 's going to enhance the growth of those that are here? If elders make suggestions or ask for things to be done a certain way, they're not trying to interfere with anybody. They're simply doing the job that God has called them to do. The elders are not dictators. Uh, However, and deacons, I think, have the right and responsibility to evaluate the suggestions of the elders and give input. Because again, there's this idea of working together. And again, you'll see that much more clearly next week uh, when uh, when we deal with what it means to rule. Uh, Because I think that if we understand what it means to rule, in some denominations they have only what they call ruling elders, and I think we'll see where they go astray uh, in their understanding of that when we understand how that rule is to take place. But then fourthly, it's important for all of us. We must all evaluate our ministries, evaluate our character, evaluate our attitudes, evaluate our motives, our agendas, and our involvement in the work of the church. What we all want to ask ourselves, are we doing all things decently and in order? And of course, in order means that we're following the order that God has given to us. Are we following through with our responsibilities? And we need to make sure that we're doing that. And if we are doing that as a group of leaders in the church, then the church is going to flourish because we're doing things the way I believe that God has set up. The outside world will view this as being very inefficient, but they're wrong. There are others in churches who say that well, this isn't the best way to go because the church and they will use a lot of business principles from the world. They say well, the church should be doing this, and the church should be doing that, and I don't buy any of that. I don't. I just yeah, I don't see it in the Bible. I don't see that through church history um, at all. And so, if we want to again flourish, and I like to use that word flourish because, and the idea behind me using the word flourish is that when I talk about our church flourishing, that means that we are relating to God and relating to each other in a way that pleases the Lord and honors the Lord. That means it is our goal always to encourage each other to continue to grow as Christians, to care for each other, to develop a greater depth of caring for each other. We, one of our goals, subsidiaries, one of our, our, what comes out of that should be a goal, not, not in an arrogant way, but, but the goal is, is that the non-believer comes into our midst and sees how we interact with each other and how we care for each other. And what he thinks is, man, this this is incredible. Not that he thinks that we're some kind of a cult that's been brainwashed, but he recognizes that we're not a cult, but there's a genuine love and concern for each other and for God. And you'd be amazed at how many people, A, pay attention to that, how clear that is to non-believers. To us, sometimes it can be unclear because that's what we're accustomed to. But think about some people that you know, people maybe that you work with, and they don't have, they don't have family here, and ask yourself, what do they do when they get in a pinch? Who do they call? Who, who can they depend on? If something goes wrong, who's there for them? There's a lot of people who have no one. They've got no one. And God has established the church, not just so we can artificially care for each other, but there's a genuine care and concern for each other. And that reveals that God has changed our hearts and that God has poured his love in us. And also what we need to recognize is that even sometimes other believers will see that clearly as well. It brings honor to the Lord because it's just so unusual. It's not the norm. Uh, There's a couple of letters in history where one Roman officer wrote to another Roman p- politician in another area saying that, that these Christians put Romans to shame. We say we take care of our own, but we don't. Not like the Christians do. Because the Christians taking care of their own, this is, in, this is insane what they do. Uh, and uh, we, we should want to be known for that. And again, there'll be those who will hate us for that. There'll be those who will hate us because our goodness to each other puts a spotlight on, on what's lacking in their life, and what they don't do for each other. Our genuine love for the Lord uh, will put a spotlight on the emptiness in their life as we worship the one and only true God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we want want that to be developed. We want people to be able to see that. We want them to experience what we maybe at times can even take for granted, uh, but we, we take seriously when we think about it. We want that to be developed. We want to flourish in that way. What we want to see is that individuals on a regular basis are talking about the things of the Lord and praying for each other, truly praying for each other. And I think some of that does go on here. Absolutely it does. I think it's terrific. We we, We don't want to be satisfied with where we are. We want more of that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your grace and your kindness and your goodness. We thank you, Father, again for the office of elders and deacons that you have given to the church That you've given to the church, Father, in some sense to make up for the lack in the world. to, To be able to combat the problem of sin in the world. So that, Father, not only that we as individuals can overcome sin, and not only that we collectively can overcome sin, but, Lord, the curse of sin has done damage to families. And the church is there to pick up the slack. The curse of sin, Father, has damaged our society and our care for each other. And the church is there to pick up the slack. Because of the curse of sin, there's a lack of genuine love and concern in the world. And the church, again, is there to pick up the slack and to show the way. To show the way that the way that we love and care and, and, and uh, do good things is because we are motivated and energized and empowered by the Spirit of God. Not because we're just some lucky group of, of people who have the same goal in mind. But there is something supernatural that is here. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us always to strive to move in this direction, that we would all desire to have a church that flourishes in this way. That, Lord, there would be a continuing, growing spiritual depth of life that is lived here that would be seen and even felt by others. And perhaps, Lord, it would be a good thing if they're moved to jealousy and they desire to possess what we possess. Because, Father, we know That we don't possess our own greatness. It's not because we possess great abilities. It's because we possess Christ. Christ possesses us. And because of that, Father, we are able to experience what we experience. And so we thank you, Lord, for all the many good things that you've provided us in our life through the church. And we pray, Lord, that would only be enhanced as we seek to grow together. We do thank you and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.